Welcome to the first episode of the Semi-Pro Fantasy Show, a podcast brought to you by two avid fantasy football competitors. I'm Aaron Heisen with my co-host, Will Kozine. Will, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, the weather is nice today. Beautiful day in Portland. And I'm excited to talk some, talk some football. It's actually funny you mentioned that because it's very overcast here in sunny California. But yeah, let's get right into the recent news in football. So in recent news, Dak Prescott, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, signed a franchise tender for $31.5 million. What are your thoughts on this, Will? Um, I don't think it affects his fantasy value too much for this season at least. Uh, but certainly I was expecting him to get a long-term extension this offseason. It still might happen before the July deadline. Um I'll get more into Dak when we talk about keep trade cut, but I don't okay. think it's a huge deal right now, at least. Gotcha. Okay, so our second piece of news um, covers Debo Samuel, the wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, and Samuel just got a Jones fracture in his foot, and the recovery time for an injury like that is eight to ten weeks, so he should be ready for the first or second week of the season and should be, and should be ready to have some training camp, but this could have... A negative effect on the Niners offense and what are the fantasy implications for the rest of the San Francisco 49ers offense? Um, I think this is interesting because I've heard conflicting reports about Debo Samuel. I've seen some people saying he might be out till October while other reports like from the team saying he'll be back for week one. Uh, so if, if he misses any time obviously it's a boost to guys like George Kittle, uh, maybe Brendan Ayuk although I don't think you're ever starting him in fantasy at this point and maybe Jalen Hurd. Um, and then it's a decrease in the value of Garoppolo because losing Samuel is obviously going to hurt him. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, I don't see one single receiver on the Niners completely benefiting from Samuel Samuel missing time because, one, they don't throw many passes every game, and there's not a standout receiver after Samuel. Maybe uh, their first-round pick, Ayuk, stands, uh, stands out in the first few weeks, but I see more of a committee uh, approach to covering Samuel's uh, injury. Yeah, and then if anything, Kittle gets a couple more targets, but you're starting him anyway no matter what. So, Yeah, I would agree with that on the Kittle point. Okay, moving on to our next piece of news. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, another Cowboys player at running back, tested po- positive for coronavirus. Um, could this be a good thing? Because if he is immune, will he not miss any time due to the coronavirus later on in the season? This is weird because obviously this is this is unprecedented times that we're in right now, but I think it shouldn't have too big of an impact because these are NFL players. And I think the maximum time anyone's going to miss with coronavirus is maybe two weeks, two or three weeks. Um, yeah, for quarantining. And I don't think that's enough to justify moving someone down in the rankings or moving someone up in the rankings based on because uh-huh. there's already risk of injury, which is greater than that of coronavirus, I think. So I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal, but there's there's no way to know. And maybe, obviously, this can only help Ezekiel Elliott. But does this make, like, um, handcuffs more valuable? Like, if Elliott were to go out in the regular season for two weeks, and you have Tony Pollard, or if Dalvin Cook gets diagnosed with COVID-19, and you have Alexander Madison, you have a top 12 running back for two weeks, two to three weeks, because of the starter being out to coronavirus. I agree that handcuffs would be more valuable in that circumstance, but I think when you're drafting, you can't really be predicting that. Um, mm-hmm. But there's really just no way to know. This is this is a crazy time. 
Yeah, well, COVID-19 will definitely have an effect on the NFL season in many ways. But let's move into a little mini-game. I like to call it Keep Trade Cut. I will bring up three players, and we will decide whether which player we would keep on our team, which player we would uh, cut, and which people, player we would trade because of their value. So our first uh, trio is three running backs. You have James Conner, Mark Ingram, and Todd Gurley, all going around the same ADP in the fourth and the fifth round. What do you think about these three players? Um, these are three guys that I'm not going to have any of them on my, most of my teams, I think. But I think Connor is the clear cut here. I think he's the worst out of the three. Um, I think Ingram and Gurley both have quite a bit of upside, whereas Connor is in a timeshare with three other running backs. Um, in addition, Connor really doesn't get any work in the passing game. You have guys like Jalen Samuels and uh, the rookie Anthony McFarland. Um, and beyond that, uh, Benny Snell takes a lot of the red zone work too. So I just don't see the upside for Connor. He also gets injured at a decent rate. Um, the tougher choices. The one thing I will counter will is I think the Steelers will have a very good defense this year, and that could help Connor's volume and use the running game to stay in games. That is true. I think he has value in maybe a standard format uh, where receptions aren't a factor, but in any sort of half PPR or full PPR format, I just don't think. You can draft the guy that's in a timeshare that doesn't have receiving upside as well. Mm-hmm. And then we move towards guys like Ingram and Gurley, who I've ranked similarly, uh, but I think Gurley is going higher at the moment, which is why I would end up trading him. Uh, I think there's a very, very elevated risk of injury with Gurley that Ingram doesn't have. That means I just don't ever feel comfortable drafting him. And I think the value you can get in return is about the same as Ingram. You can cash in on a big name who was the number one running back in in fantasy a few years ago, and he's going into a good offense. He's being drafted higher than Ingram, so he has more value. I completely agree with that. Yeah. This still doesn't mean I I like Ingram. You know how I feel about Ingram. I know you love him. But uh, out of these three, I think I'm definitely keeping Ingram. I just want to bring up with Ingram, um, there's – at least 530 to 550 carries to go around. And I know Lamar Jackson's going to get his 160, 170. I think Ingram receives more of the load, and I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to infringe on that as much as you might will. And if you give a guy like Ingram, who still has talent, 214 carries or 215 carries, I think he'll get over 1,000 yards, and he always has double-digit touchdown upside in a full season, especially with his offensive line in Baltimore. Those are valid points, and I agree on some level, but also there's a misconception that Ingram was a high-volume running back last year. He was actually 20th in the league in carries, I believe, and 47th among running backs in receptions. And I think that adding Dobbins to the backfield, there's not going to be more carries for Ingram, which is my concern with him. He had around 210 last year. Right, but can you bank on the same touchdown efficiency? I don't personally think you can, especially in the receiving game. Okay, well, I think that I think the potential that he has to get those metrics again is definitely why I look at him as a higher value at running back. For sure, I definitely see him above guys like Connor and Gurley going in the same range. Okay, great. So let's move on to the next uh, trio. We have three quarterbacks going in the same fifth, sixth round range. Um we have Dak Prescott from the Cowboys, Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans, and Kyler Murray from the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I am going to keep Kyler Murray. 
Um, the rushing floor that he provides, while not on the same level as a guy like Lamar Jackson, is incredibly valuable for fantasy football. We've seen in recent years just how incredible uh, rushing is for a quarterback because you get the full point versus the, the partial points you get for passing yards. The rushing is just so so incredibly valuable. Watson and Prescott both have rushing value, but not on the same level as Murray. Um, and then between the other two, I think I'm going to keep Deshaun Watson, uh, who has three very good receivers on his team. He lost DeAndre Hopkins, which is going to probably hurt his draft value, which makes him a better value, I think. Um, but I think they're going to be trailing a lot this year. I don't think they're as good as they were in previous years. And the passing volume should be very high for Watson. Yeah, Watson should be a good value once again in fantasy drafts. And he always has the ability to throw 25 to 30 touchdowns every season. I just want to bring up Dak because I I would cut him as well. But it is a tough cut for me because Dak has shown over the last three seasons how efficient and how good he can be. I know we've looked at his metrics against um, better teams. He's not very good. But he threw for 30 touchdowns last season, and he threw for over 20 in his first three seasons. He also threw for almost 5,000 yards last year, and this is in a, with three potent receivers in this offense and a very good offensive coordinator. I think Dak Prescott has a lot of value um, in fantasy football, and it might not be as high as Watson or Murray, but I think we shouldn't disregard Dak Prescott as a fantasy value at quarterback. I agree. I think he can be an absolute steal at this range if everything goes right for him. But uh, the concern, obviously, you mentioned is with his inconsistency. And uh, to bring up some stats that back up the point, he's 6-17 and 17 in his last three years against teams with a winning record. And he's thrown 25 interceptions and 25 touchdowns in those games, which is not good. And I think when you're drafting yeah, a quarterback that early, you're missing out on a, a startable running back or receiver. You need to be able to play that quarterback all 16 games. And I don't necessarily yeah. think you can do that with Dak Prescott. I don't think... Like, Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson, I think you can start them against almost any NFL team. And I don't see the same thing with Prescott, which is why I see him in a lower tier than the other two. Yeah. Um, with Kyler Murray, the rushing floor is so huge in fantasy football just because the way that rushing points are counted towards quarterbacks. So I would definitely keep Murray just because he always has that floor of 30 to 50 rushing yards a game. And Watson and Prescott also rush, but not as much as Kyler Murray does. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the third trio. We have wide receiver Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, and Cooper Cup. How do you view these three, Will? Um, I love Allen Robinson this year at his current ADP. I think he's going in between wide receiver 7 and 12 in most drafts. And I think he's being drafted at his floor. And if you look at last year, the Bears' offense was horrible. And if you ask most people why they don't want to draft Robinson this year, they're going to tell you because the Bears' offense sucks, which is a valid point. But last year, Robinson had 158 targets, uh, 98 catches, over 1,100 yards, and 7 touchdowns. And so if he's able to do that when the offense is that bad, you know that the Bears' offense should be better this year. If Trubisky doesn't get better, they're going to put in Foles. And if Trubisky does get better, they're going to have Trubisky and the offense will be better. So you you, want to think the offense is going to be better. And that should just lead to more production and more touchdowns for Robinson, who I think is being drafted as floor when his ceiling is immensely high. Yeah. Um, I Funny that we bring these three up because I actually have these three ranked in a row in my rankings. I have Cup at 10, Robinson at 11, Moore at 12. And 
the one thing that I'm noticing is Robinson is going to have much more, many more targets than Cup and more this upcoming season. Um, so that could help, especially in PPR leagues. I will say that Cooper Cup is a touchdown monster, and in the red zone, he is Jared Goff's number one target. So he always has double-digit touchdown, touchdown upside, and I could definitely see that happening again, again this year, especially now that Todd Gurley is out the door. So I would keep Cooper Cup. Certainly a valid point. Cup is very, very good red zone receiver. Robinson also very good red zone receiver. Uh, last year, I think Trubisky threw a total of 17 touchdowns, and Robinson caught seven of them, which is almost half, which is really, really impressive. So if the passing offense gets even a little bit better, you're going to see Robinson have a monster year and maybe even target Anthony Miller as well as a wide receiver too. Yeah, do you think the – you bring up Anthony Miller. Do you think that Anthony Miller and I know Bears signed Jimmy Graham. They, they paid Jimmy Graham, although he might not be at his peak anymore. They paid him. They brought him in. Do you think that those guys coming back and being healthy could take away from Allen Robinson? I don't think so. Uh, Trubisky loves throwing to Robinson. I think he, Robinson didn't have fewer than five targets in a single game last year. I think he had over seven in 14 of 16 games. So he's a target monster. I don't think that changes. The concern with a guy like Graham is touchdowns. Graham is known for vulturing touchdowns. So maybe Robinson ends up finishing around the same touchdown total as he did last year. But I think even if Robinson... Which is certainly a high metric. Right, and even if Robinson performs the same as he did last year, that's that's a value where he's going right now. So I think there's there's no downside to drafting Robinson uh, where he's being Yeah, taken. so it seems that the obvious cut is DJ Moore of the Carolina Panthers. And let's Will, let's get your take on why he's the cut here out of these three. Yeah, I obviously love him as a player, but I think there's just way too much uncertainty with him. Uh, The Panthers just signed Robbie Anderson to a two-year deal. They still have Curtis Samuel. Uh, McCaffrey gets a ton of targets in the passing game. And we know that Teddy Bridgewater is not a high-volume passer. So I just don't necessarily see uh, a big breakout performance like for DJ Moore like is possible for Cupper Robinson. Yeah, I... I know that the Panthers paid Teddy Bridgewater a lot to come in and be the starter, but I'm personally not bought in on Teddy Bridgewater's down-the-field performances, and I just don't see him as a quarterback that will be able to sustain um, a wide receiver one in DJ Moore. So yeah, I would also put Moore behind the other two because of the upside. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's jump into the main part of the podcast, uh, the Drafter's Guide to Fantasy Football. We will break we will break our drafting tips into three parts based off the first few rounds, the middle rounds, and the back end of the draft. Will, what are some of your drafting tips for the front parts of drafts? Well, one of the main uh, philosophies of fantasy football is managing risk. And I think in the first part of the draft, you want to have as little risk as possible. It's easy to get enamored with the upside of guys like Todd Gurley, who have shown they can do incredible things. But you also have to equally consider the floor of the player. And I think that in the first four rounds, if you get four solid contributors, you're going to walk away feeling great, even if the rest of your picks don't pan out the way you want them to. So I think it's just really integral that even if they're not number one, like the best player in football for the season, as long as they're solid players, that's all you can ask for in the first few rounds. Yeah, and so positionally, how are you targeting those players? Are you going 
to get a variety of positions, such as one quarterback, one running back, one wide receiver, one tight end, or how do you target that? I mean, it's easy to say just take the best player available. Um, and it also depends on your league settings. I know that some team, some leagues, uh, I think, have extra receivers or there's PPR versus standard, which can tweak the value of different positions. But in general, a top-tier running back is the most valuable commodity in all of fantasy football. And if one of those guys is on the board, you have to take them and not feel bad about it at all. Yeah, I think personally in most leagues, no matter what the format is, that there are five or six running backs ahead of the first wide receiver, which is Michael Thomas in my opinion. For but sure. I would take like I would take McCaffrey, Barkley, Cook, Elliott, and in some cases Kamara over Thomas, just because of how valuable running backs are. Um the biggest reason is if you look past the top 20 running backs, it becomes a very thin position. You have guys who are in committees, guys who don't have much touchdown upside. It's a very thin position. So if you have one or even two of those guys, you have a very good start to your draft. Yeah, there's certainly a ton of value with the, the super early running backs in the first couple of rounds. One other thing to note is that uh, a success is determined as a player that you want to start in your lineup in top 25, which is the the top 20th position, which is wide receiver one, wide receiver two, running back one, running back two, and then half of the flex, basically assuming half of flex is running back, half is receiver. If that's a success, I think 80% of the first uh, two rounds of running backs end up succeeding, and it's the same for receivers. Then you drop down to the next two rounds, the success rate for receivers stays at 80%, but for running back goes down to, I think, 60%. So, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, and Cooper Cup, who all have great chances of having good seasons. And those are guys going around running backs like Todd Gurley and James Conner, who we don't expect to have a very good breakout season. So that just exemplifies how much more valuable these running backs are. Yeah, those top-tier running backs are just incredible and that's why you see a lot of leagues moving towards having three receivers instead of two and other other ways of uh kind of balancing out running backs and make it less less overpowered i guess yeah so let's say you miss out on the top uh running back tier and you are like focusing on a wide receiver whether it's michael thomas Devontae adams julio jones what do you look for in a first round pick that's a wide receiver uh you obviously want the guaranteed volume High volume players are great. Um, it can depend on the format. In a PPR format, a guy like Michael Thomas is perfect because he's going to get 120 catches or more every year. Um, in a standard format, you want to look for touchdowns or high touchdown upside. So a guy like Kenny, Kenny Galladay is a great option. Um, but assuming you're in a half PPR format, you want guaranteed volume on a good offense with a good quarterback, basically, is what you're looking for. Yeah, if you have that formula that Will just mentioned, you're probably getting a success at wide receiver. Michael Thomas has that formula, Devontae Adams, the list goes on, Julio Jones. Those are the top wide receivers. And if you have one of those guys who's consistently performing in the 15 points or above per week, then you can fill out the rest of your draft with upside guys who can have breakout weeks while your wide receivers are being very consistent. Yeah, and one more thing to avoid is players that are changing teams. Uh because it comes with a lot of uncertainty where you're with a new quarterback and a new offense. Uh, in the first three rounds, you want to avoid risk, and that just adds a lot of risk that you can avoid by taking someone who's a similar player in a more stable situation. I think Hopkins 
is a great player for the uh, was for the Texans now for the Cardinals, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty now with the new offense. Is he gonna get the same volume? Is he gonna have the same efficiency? Uh, there's not. It's not the same guaranteed uh, situation as other receivers in the same range. So I'm actually not targeting yeah. DeAndre Hopkins this year, which sucks because he's a great player. I agree with that, Will. So let's move on to the tight ends drafting strategy. I'm going to share my thoughts on um, this strategy. There are two guys that I would um, target in the first rounds, and there's only two. That's it. It's Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And we do not preach drafting a tight end high as we would rather you draft a tight end towards the back of the draft and play the waiver wire game with tight ends. But the argument for Kittle and Kelsey is that they provide a consistent option as a tight end every week. They will get you at least 15 to 16 points every single week. They have touchdown upside, even two, two, tight end, two, two touchdown upside every week. So if you are able to score on one of those valuable running backs and you add a guy like Kittle or Kelsey who can provide you with a wide receiver one option but in a position that you have to get to fill out your roster, I think it's very valuable to have a guy like Kelsey or Kittle on your roster. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing to note is that if you're drafting first overall or second overall and you get Christian McCaffrey, you basically have one of your running back positions locked down for the whole year. So that actually enables you to take a guy like Kelsey or Kittle on the turn when you're picking at around pick 20 or 24. Um, Because you don't have to worry about drafting a, a slew of running backs. You can focus on those more premium positions. Yeah, and with McCaffrey, he might even fill in two positions. I mean, he's targeted over 120 times every year. It might not be the same with the new quarterback coming into town, but he has a 1,000, 1,000 upside every year. So if you do get a high-end running back, it's easier to stomach getting a tight end like Kittle or, like Kittle or Kelsey. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, so the last uh, point I want to touch on with um, first half of the draft strategy is we completely agree on this point. We want you to avoid quarterbacks in the first few rounds. And there's a lot of reasons that go into this, but one of the biggest reasons is there were over 40 quarterbacks last year who had a week inside the top 12. That means 40 quarterbacks were uh, had one week where they were a QB1. There are 32 teams, and 40 quarterbacks had one of those weeks. It, the quarterback position is very matchup-based, and if you have a guy with um, upside playing against a weak defense, there's a high chance that he performs very well on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, in addition, the position is like super, super deep where the quarterback 10 isn't actually that much different than the QB1 or QB2 because Lamar Jackson was so far ahead last year. Um, I think the only case of taking a receiver early, or sorry, a quarterback early, is if you're in a two-quarterback league because that assigns a premium to the position that isn't there otherwise. But if you're in a standard like one quarterback league, I just don't the 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 fall off between the top quarterbacks and the lower ones just isn't great enough to to, ju- yeah. to justify spending that high draft capital. Yeah, and I mean you see it with Mahomes as the number one quarterback, and many people drafted him as high as the first round last season, and he completely regressed. Fifty touchdowns was ve- was a very high mark, and we all predicted regression from that, and it happened. So if you took Mahomes in the top of the second round or the first round, you lost a pick because he even missed some games to injuries. And then 
Um, Lamar Jackson, he was amazing last year, but regression is in the cards for for Lamar Jackson this season. So wasting a second round pick on him might also be a disadvantage to your team because you're going to miss out on one of those high end receivers or running backs. Yeah, and a guy like Mahomes, even if he did finish as a top four quarterback, still wouldn't have paid off a, a second round ADP. Like if you're drafting a quarterback that early, they have to be the QB one by a good margin. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. there's a case for a guy like Lamar Jackson because. We haven't seen anyone rush the ball like he does, but there's just there's so much value late, especially with like last year Lamar Jackson was a tenth round pick. There's always just yeah. there's the quarterback position for fantasy is very very unpredictable, and there's a lot of guys that come out of nowhere every single year, and I think there's just it's it's hard to justify spending high draft capital. Yeah, and two years ago, Mahomes was a waiver wire pickup. Right. You have guys with that upside every season. So there's not a real justification for picking a high-end quarterback. People have wasted draft picks on Aaron Rodgers for the past two or three seasons because of his 30-touchdown upside, and it's killed them. So it's really – we'll talk about targeting back-end quarterbacks later on, but we would want you to avoid quarterbacks in the first few rounds. But let's move on to the middle rounds of the draft. What are some of your points that you want to touch on about the middle rounds, Will? So as you go into the middle rounds, you can start assuming a little more risk than you would be otherwise. Um, You want these players to have the upside to finish top 10 of the position, uh, but also having a floor that isn't going to totally tank your team if they they don't perform perfectly. Guys like Stephon Diggs are guys you're not targeting because the upside in an offense like Buffalo is just not there. Um, yeah. And a guy like Kareem Hunt is someone that you're absolutely targeting because he has standalone flex value as the RB2 in Cleveland because he's a great receiver and a solid rusher. And then if Chubb were to go down, Kareem Hunt becomes a top five RB in the entire NFL. Yeah, I, I think there's like a clear tier of running back um, in the middle rounds that you don't target and that you do target, you have the guys like James Conner we were mentioning earlier. Well, he does have a safe floor if he's able to stay healthy because of the um, t- because of the offense that he's on. I would not take him in the fifth or sixth round just because his ceiling is not very high. Whereas you have a guy like Raheem Mostert who's going around uh, James Conner, and his ceiling is very high if he's able to get a full workload in San Francisco, one of the best running offenses in the league, then he could have a crazy breakout year. Yeah. One note on Mostert is that uh, he's only had, I think, 140 career snaps, something like that, and he's 28 years old because he's been just a, a free agent for so long. So it's it's weird to predict a breakout when someone's 28, but because he's had so little volume, it's, it's a real possibility for him. Uh, his legs are still fresh, too. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, and he's one of the running back, one of the only running backs who's been with Shanahan for the past two seasons. And, um, like, McKinnon's been hurt. They ship Breda out. Coleman and him are going to be the two who are fighting for that spot. And I think Mostert might take it. Yeah. Um, and and Same with... I'm sorry, continue. um, Same with that wide receivers. um, You're looking uh, for upside. I would target guys like Calvin Ridley or DK Metcalf who have uh, double-digit touchdown upside and are on great offenses. Yeah. And one more thing to avoid is players that, that finished the previous season very strong are going to be drafted higher than they would be otherwise. Um, so a guy like Mostert, right now I think is a value where he's being drafted, but I think as draft season uh, kind of enters its full swing, he's going to climb up boards because people remember how good he was in the playoffs. 
and taking advantage of that recency bias is a valuable skill. Yeah, to touch on recency bias, you have a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who was predicted to be a top five receiver before Ben Roethlisberger got hurt last season, and he's going in like the sixth or seventh round, where he has top ten um, potential. That potential's not gone. Ben Roethlisberger is now back. Right. So Juju Smith-Schuster is definitely a guy you should target because of his potential to be a top ten receiver. Yeah, he's also being drafted as floor, and one thing to note is that he's being moved back to the slot where he had that breakout season. And they're going to have Deontay Johnson and one of James Washington and uh, Chase Claypool on the outside. Yeah, so So those are definitely some guys to target and avoid in the middle rounds. Um, Another thing that we want to touch on and definitely make explicit is that um, we want you to avoid middle round tight ends. And that's a huge deal. And Will, can you explain that to the viewers? Yeah, this is one of my most passionate arguments in all of fantasy football because... uh, Outside of the top two guys, and you can include Darren Waller and Zach Ertz, maybe Mark Andrews in that kind of upper echelon, but there's just not guaranteed volume for any other tight ends, really, uh, to the same extent as the top guys. And it's just a very, very touchdown-reliant position because the when the targets aren't there, the touchdowns have such a big impact, and it's just not something that, as as an analyst, you can really predict. Yeah. And um, by avoiding middle-round t- tight ends, we're telling you to draft background tight ends or even pick them off the waiver wire. Two guys you just mentioned, Mark Andrews and Darren Waller, were waiver wire pickups, and they had great breakout seasons. There are always guys at the tight end position who will have breakout seasons that you can pick up. Right, and then also most of the mid-round tight ends are guys that overperformed their touchdown expectations in the previous year and now have an increased price because of that. So I think last year, guys like... Hunter Henry and O.J. Howard and yeah. Evan Ingram were the mid-round picks, and none of them really worked out. Maybe Hunter Henry is like a top 11 play. but Well, you have Henry coming in again, and um, he was hurt for most of last season, or for the first part of last season, but he came in and he had five touchdowns right away, and I just don't see that touchdown efficiency coming again next year for Henry, especially with a complete downgrade at quarterback. Yeah. So there's a... There's a definitely a slew of tight ends in the middle of drafts that you want to avoid, and when you see your drafting mates um, taking those tight ends and the big a big um, tight end run goes, you're going to soak up the value of running backs and wide receivers that are still available. Yeah. Guys like Deontay Johnson will still be there. Guys like DJ Chark. There's a lot of valuable guys at that part of the draft, yeah, and, and you can soak that up and there's while just, other guys are taking and There's just ends. not a big fall-off to the late-round tight ends. Guys like Noah Fant are fantastic plays. We'll get to guys like him later. But uh, obviously last year, Waller and Andrews both were late-round picks, and they panned out. And it's just because it's just it's a very unpredictable position. There's very little volume and a lot of volatility. And so thinking that you just have all the answers at tight end is not the best strategy. Yeah. And um, there are one or two rookie wide receivers being targeted in this um, part of the draft. Guys like Henry Ruggs or um, C.D. Lamb, how do you view rookie wide receivers in uh, fantasy drafts? Prior to last year, I would never even touch them. But last year was crazy because you had guys like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, probably missing a couple. But they were great fantasy assets last year. And obviously, they're they're high-round picks this year. But I don't... It's, it's scary to pick those guys. I think the later they go, the more you want to pick them. Uh... Yeah. But I just... I mean, 
Yeah. I don't see one coming into a great situation. Yeah, like, me neither. I would say probably the most vo- uh, volume that one guy will get would be Jerry Judy with the Broncos. He'll get maybe yeah. over 100 targets, but he's not the one there. And Drew Locke is kind of inconsistent with um, big receivers like Judy and like Sutton. So there's just not really a rookie option that I would target high in the draft. One one thing to note about Ruggs is if you're playing a best ball format, which means that it takes the highest scores of your team every week, even guys on the bench. Um, Ruggs has value because he's a big play threat and can have those like five catch, 160 yard, two touchdown games. So if you're playing best ball, Ruggs could be an option. But otherwise, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a consistent contributor year one. Yeah, Ruggs definitely has some value because he could always take a screen to the house from 80 yards away. But I don't see that happening often in the Raiders' offense. And when it does happen, I don't think you can predict it very well. Yeah. Um, he reminds me a yeah. He, yeah, he just screams Will Fuller a lot. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the back of the draft. Um, what are some of the tips you have for the back parts of drafts, Will? So at this point in the draft, in terms of risk, you don't really care. Um, you're, you're not looking for these guys to be a starter at their position. You've drafted enough guys that, are, that you want to be the starters. So you're just shooting for for major upside. And the key is, like, there has to be a realistic path for the, per- for the player to have upside. So if, if you look at a guy like Matt Breida, he's a, a solid player, but is there ever a situation, is there a scenario that Matt Breida becomes an RB1 or RB2? And the answer is probably no, even if Howard got hurt. So you're not really targeting yeah. guys like that. Whereas a guy like Tony Pollard, if Zeke Elliott goes down, Tony Pollard's an RB1. And same thing with Alexander Madison for Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray for uh, Alvin Kamara. So I think uh, guys that have a path to top fantasy production are going to be the most valuable commodities at this point in the draft. Yeah, I would also say there are a few handcuffs that Will just mentioned that we would recommend drafting if you have one of those um, if you have one of their starters. But for most running backs, such as Derrick Henry, um, there isn't a clear handcuff. So I would advise that you pound guys that have um, more upside. Maybe a guy like Damian Williams, who if he is the starting running back for the Chiefs, could be a running back one. Absolutely. And one more thing okay. is that oh, really quick is that uh, in the first round, I think Saquon Barkley is going against RB2. And one reason why I have Saquon Barkley below Kamara and Zeke and Cook, if he were to uh, stop holding out, is that if, if you have one of those other guys, you can draft their handcuff, and you can basically just guarantee yourself RB1 production for the whole year, versus if you have Saquon, you're not drafting Wayne Gallman, because Wayne Gallman, if Saquon got hurt, is not a top-tier RB. So yeah, if you want, if you want to just secure a position, drafting one of those other guys and their handcuff can be a good way to do that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so with quarterbacks, this is a huge um, part of the draft where we want to target quarterbacks. So this is where you want to target quarterbacks with upsides. And the way that I like to look at quarterbacks is looking at their schedule. So Josh Allen has a very easy schedule to start off the season. So taking him in the eighth or ninth round is a very good idea because he has top five quarterback potential and you're not wasting a top five pick or top five round pick on him. He also has a solid rushing floor, too, unlike a lot of quarterbacks in this range, which helps him out. And yeah. He rushes for a lot of touchdowns, which is nice, too. Yeah, that could regress, but I still think the floor is definitely there. And Josh Allen is definitely one of the quarterbacks I would target in the back of the draft. 
Another one I would look at is Matthew Stafford. Stafford played um, only 10 games, was it, last season? It was eight, actually. And eight? Okay, so even less than I thought. And he was on um, track for over 5,000 yards, and he was going to have a huge season before he got hurt. So I would definitely target Stafford because he definitely has top 10 upside, and he's being drafted as the quarterback 13. Yeah, Stafford's one of my favorite picks this year, for sure. Uh, he was on pace for 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Um, the Lions were competitive when he was there. I just, like, the, the upside that Stafford provides is immense. And then, He has great touchdown upside weapons. Marvin Jones and um, Kenny Galladay both have double-digit touchdown upside, and I think TJ Hawkinson will have a huge breakout this year as well. Yeah, if Hawkinson takes that leap, Detroit could be a very big force this year. Yeah. Um, and then um, another point I want to touch on with waiver quarterbacks, if you miss out on one of the guys we were talking about, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford, even guys like Carson Wentz, Tom Brady, it's okay. There are so many guys you can pick up as the season goes on based off their schedule. A guy like Daniel Jones is someone that I would definitely look at. He ha- does not start off easy. He plays Pittsburgh in week one. But you can pick him up in week four, and he has a very easy stretch in the middle of the season, and he can provide you with a few major wins in the middle of the season. Yeah, one thing to note is that when you're drafting a quarterback this late, you don't, you're not married to them like you are if you draft Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. So, like, obviously, if, you're, if your quarterback turns into one of those guys, you're happy and you, that's amazing and you're going to win your league, whatever. But if they don't do that, you, don't, you can cut them and sign someone else. Like, you're not... You haven't invested that draft capital where you just yeah, if you have take to search every single game. If you take Patrick Mahomes and he doesn't pan out, you've wasted a draft pick. Right, and also, because you've invested so much draft capital in him, you have to start him every single game. Even against like yeah, bad no matchups. Matter what the, yeah, exactly. Which, which can be scary. So Although, then, yeah, he, he's matchup-proof for the most part, but it's a, it's a note. Let's touch on um, the touch, the tight ends with upside. So I know we brought up Noah Fant from the Broncos earlier. And Fant, what is the big upside with Noah Fant? So obviously the Broncos are an ascending team. Drew Locke looks great. Um, the concern for the Broncos is that they're going to be rushing a lot more this year because they signed Melvin Gordon. They still have Philip Lindsay. Um, so the overall pass volume should decrease, which could hurt a guy like Corton Sutton, who I'm not really targeting. But for a guy like Noah Fant and for other tight ends who are not volume dependent, you want to you want to be looking at tight ends that are on great offenses because the touchdown upside is absolutely there, especially for a guy like Fant. So um, any player like Fant that's on a great offense, even if the volume doesn't seem like it's there, are a great option for fantasy football. Yeah, I think some other guys I would like to bring up in that range. Obviously, Fant is the number one target for. Uh, the back of the draft tight ends, but a guy like Gasicki with the Dolphins. Um, and that's mostly if Ryan Fitzpatrick stays the starter. I don't really trust Gasicki with Tua as a starter. But if Fitzpatrick stays, Gasicki definitely has a lot of targets coming his way, and he could have a lot of upside. Another guy is TJ Hawkinson, who we just mentioned um, on the Lions. And he had um, a big game week one, and he kind of fizzled out after that. But if Stafford is able to stay healthy the whole year, Hawkinson could have a huge season. Yeah, for sure. I love T.J. Hawkinson this year. People forget he was a top, I think he was the eighth draft pick last year. So yeah. the Lions love him. There's nothing to suggest that their feelings on him have changed. So he should be a big part of this year. Yeah. Okay, so that's all the time we have to talk about 
the drafting guides, a few notes that I want to touch on before we end this episode. Um, in the first half of the drafts, really target valuable running backs because those will really help your team. In the middle rounds, avoid quarterbacks and avoid tight ends and look for running backs and wide receiver with a lot of upside. And towards the back of the draft, um, pound the upside and look for quarterbacks with easy schedules and high upside. Okay, uh, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to our first podcast. I hope you can tune in to future episodes of the Semi-Pro Fantasy Show. Please feel free to check out Semi-Pro's other podcasts, such as Garbage Time and The Art of the Culture, and check out our YouTube videos and articles that are being posted daily. See you next time.